I'm in Sydney today uh, with Matt Pearson, who is the uh, COO and co-founder of a new NanoSat startup called Fleet. Uh, Matt, it's great to meet you. And you, thank you, thank you for having me on the show. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was actually really interesting. Uh, we we, we uh, got the introduction from uh, Nikki Skiback from uh, Blackbird VC, yep. and uh, I think as I mentioned to you that uh, uh, Nikki and I actually worked almost right beneath your office, although <laughs> we were we were working in a basement. Um, of, a, of a little terrace house, and you're at the penthouse of a very tall tower. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. it's definitely more auspicious beginnings, I think. Oh, well, we've, uh, you know, I mean, I, I, my, my, uh, my background includes the garage founding days and, and things <laughs> like that, and Fleet's gone through all of its, uh, its, uh, its, its hacking through um, uh, kind of phase. So, you know, we've, we've, we've done our hard yards as well. But, um, but yeah, it's a you know, beautiful day here in Sydney and you know, nice, nice part of the world to be, to be working on the future from. The core of Fleet's proposition is really about nanosatellites or nanosats. Um, could you explain a little bit of how they work and, and I guess how they're different to the traditional satellite industry? Sure. So, I mean, I think um, it's easy to forget that the, the traditional satellite industry is, is, you know, kind of very mature now <coughs> and, uh, and traditionally been the, uh, I, I always think of it as, as the, um, the playground of uh, countries and uh, and and billionaires and uh, and and Bond villains and those kinds of things, <laughs> you know, big, um, huge satellites, billion-dollar satellites on billion-dollar rockets, um, high risk, um, the size of a very often a car. So you're saying you're not actually putting a, a laser turret gun on your satellite? No, no, that's uh, <laughs> you know, but but my friends do worry about the path my life is taking. You know, it's, uh, <laughs> it's uh, I have to kind of like tone tone things down a bit. But um, what we're talking about is, you know, the, the amazing stuff that's been happening in, in telecommunications and, uh, and computing power and the size of components is driving this whole revolution with um, really tiny satellites that have been around for, um, you know, uh, decades now, but have been used for research. Hmm. They're now powerful enough to, to power commercial applications. So um, that's just unlocking all sorts of, uh, you know, creative, creative things you can do from space and that now we're realizing can be done um, more efficiently from space. If you think about what we're trying to do in, in, um, in connectivity and the internet, um, it's, it's really something that, uh, it's a more efficient system to connect something from the ground, go up a couple of hops and come down on the other side of the world, rather than going through 200 nodes and fiber optic cable on the, along coastlines and under seas and things like that. It's a very big shift because I always had associated satellites with very expensive forms of communication. Like I remember in the, in the late 90s when the Iridium network launched mm -hmm. and uh, I was really excited. I mean, I remember you know, trying to look for the Iridium flares, you know, <laughs> yeah. of them catching the sun <laughs> as, as a six billion, net, billion dollar network sort of went whizzing around the earth. And of course, all of that and Teledesic and all these big satellite expensive startups, just they, they couldn't sustain their business models. Mm -hmm. Amazing, yeah, um, sadly. But, you but, know. but these, these satellites that you're talking about, I mean, they're not, it's not a $6 billion network, is it? It's, it's dramatically no. cheaper. No, exactly, that, that's the thing. So in space, you're talking about, everything is about mass and, uh, and the rocket that it's gonna take to, to launch it. So if you're talking about something that's, that's the size of a, a toaster um, and uh, maybe you know, a few kilograms, um, you can either hitch a ride on, on another um, bigger, bigger launch that's going on and ride share your way yeah. to space, or, um, you know, uh, use what, what, what's now happening is these amazing um, dedicated small um, launch vehicles are, are coming around, small rockets um, built for the, the nanosatellite platform, which is 
again, opening up a whole new range of possibilities. Well, I saw the, the, the Indians launched a record, like, 100 satellites in <laughs> February, you know, which, which was extraordinary until you realised that most of them were actually these nanosats. Yeah, exactly. Or was this one of these dedicated platforms that you were talking yeah, about? Yeah, this is, this is the kind of thing. And even, sm you know, smaller rockets are, um, are opening this, this playing field up as, as well. If you look at, like, um, Rocket Lab in, in New Zealand and now in, in America as well, um, they're readying for their, their first uh, commercial launch and, um, and the first test launch, sorry. And uh, that, I mean, that, that means that you can probably launch about 150 kilos of payload. Um, and that could be five satellites. Right. So, so, and you can do very specific things with those sorts of launch vehicles that you can't do ride sharing. So it's another, it's a whole nother level of uh, possibility that, that's opening up. There. What's actually inside these boxes? I mean, I are they essentially just like an iPhone? <laughs> Some people are uh, doing that, yeah. They're, they're I mean, are they sort of a fairly um, software Redefinable platform? Or are they really built to do one specific thing? They have, yeah. So, so some teams have done that. They've they've used they've taken apart uh, a, a phone and and used that and, and proven that you know the same basic components that the gyroscope and things like that can be used uh, in space as well. Some components are, are um, there's a whole uh, off the shelf um, library of, of components that you can use as well. Uh, then for, to do things like we want to do do take some custom hardware and custom software as well. So right. it does get more expensive. It's not quite the $100,000, $50,000 student project that, that um, some people talk about and launch with, um, with NASA and, and uh, from the ISS. And those, those, those ideas, uh, when I started out in this kind of you know, looking at, at space as, a, as an outsider, as, a, as an entrepreneur, um, software entrepreneur, coming to it, I was going, well, $50,000 doesn't seem like too much. We could, we could launch a couple of these things and just see what happens. The, the cost is more than that at the moment, but it is coming down fast. Right. Do you, how long do they survive up there? Because you don't, like on bigger satellites, you've got thrusters and things like that. Yeah. So do they just fall out of orbit at some point? Yeah, and this is another good thing. Um, depending on, on where you launch them in orbit, how high you, you launch them, they, uh, they last a, a, a certain amount of time. Um, between, could be a year or two, it could be up to 10 years or more. Um, but, uh, and there are some interesting things you can do down the track, but for now, the, the great thing is that this platform is really built to have these burn up and, and you have these iterative networks built. So as the technology evolves, in five years from now, we're going to be talking right. about something that's way more powerful, something that we can't And imagine you don't now. have to try and service to a kind of a Cold War era exactly. nuclear powered satellite. Yeah. And this is why the, the big guys, the, the traditional satellite guys are getting uh, very interested because they're kind of going, we can see how this makes sense that we're going to be disrupted. There is a better way of doing space. We think it's a better way of doing space. Certainly we're not quite there at that, that point where um, a, a big geostationary satellite is still very powerful for certain things. We think we found applications that work really well for a nanosat platform. Mm. But um, hey, who knows where this goes? I mean, there's, there's a lot you can do and, and we've seen what's happened with phones over the last 10 years. If the same is true of satellite technology, we're in for revolution after revolution. Well, it, it is extraordinary already what's coming out of companies like Planet Labs, mm. you know, and, and I think they they bought some of the assets from Google. Yeah. Um, that Google was getting out of, but but uh, you know there are already images surfacing of um, things like what the Chinese are up to in the in the islands in the <laughs> in the Pacific, which you couldn't get on a normal satellite platform updated regularly enough. But no, yeah. But they're coming out of these nanosat platforms now. Yeah, well, this is the thing. These new applications that the people just, you know, weren't commercially viable, made no sense before. Um, and then and the, there's this radical, I like 
obviously we, we love what Planet Labs has done um, and their focus on, on kind of creating this platform knowing that there are just myriad applications that you can't really, uh, you know, you can't define now, but that will be built on top of that, that platform of imaging. So, yeah, incredible. So, so speaking of applications, what, what are some of the areas that you think are going to be early wins for th this type of satellite platform? Yeah, well, I imaging is obviously a, a, a big one there. Um, the connectivity, there's, um, there's a bit of a, there's a on, at all levels in, in, the, in the, the, the satellite platform, at the geostationary satellite level, at the, the kind of mid-range, um, mid-size satellite level as well, and at nanosatellite level, everyone's looking at connectivity. And uh, obviously the internet's only in its infancy now. So we've got, uh, you know, everyone, we think that uh, connectivity for devices is our, that's our sweet spot. And, uh, and it's a really exciting place to, to be looking at as well. well why, why is it important? I mean, it feels like we have almost too much connectivity, you <laughs> yeah. know, for devices. I know, yeah. So, so is it a, a question of the cost of the connectivity or, or is it about the remoteness of, of the devices? Yeah, well, we, we talk about having too much, we can feel too switched on now. I mean, I, I know I feel overwhelmed by email a lot of the time, but- uh, But there also seems to be so many choices with, you know, 4G, maybe 5G. Sure, sure. Um, well, one part of it is just the sheer proliferation of devices that are coming. Um, everyone's talking about, now they're talking about 75 billion devices by 2025. So that's a lot um, considering where we are now. And, uh, you know, so there's, there's a lot that needs to be done to connect those and to connect them cheaply enough. Um, 4G is great, um, 5G is really interesting. Um, everything that's been done with LTE is really cool, but what, what's not happening really is, is dedicated networks that are global um, and, and specifically built for devices. Right. And that's what we're doing differently. So our focus is on um, a dedicated network that, will, that, that is optimized for ultra low cost connectivity, specifically for devices. Devices use the internet very differently from people. Right. You know, they're not watching YouTube and drawing down huge bandwidth. So you can obviously. tolerate quite a bit of latency too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so that's, a, that again, makes for a really beautiful iterative model where we can, uh, we can start with relatively high latency and reduce that over time as we scale the network up. Right. Yeah. And I guess latency is an issue because then you don't need to have as many satellites in the air, right? True. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, I mean, there's so many very exciting things that you can do real time, but there's still so much we haven't measured and we're so interested in what happens when we reduce the barriers to measuring things. Just, just if we only talk about just the, the, the tip of the iceberg is one-way communication, just monitoring the world, knowing what's going on in, the, in not just our built environment, but uh, remote environment as well. Um, if we can know how well trees are growing in certain areas, if we could know about water security on a really granular level, in the same way that Planet Labs is doing that for, for and with imaging, um, we want to do that with all sorts of uh, connected devices that just need uh, a tiny amount of data um, a day and, and can afford to send that back once a day or twice a day or whatever. But when we unlock that kind of information on the world, combining that with machine learning and the AI revolution that's going on so we can understand all the, that huge amount of data, we believe we can just, we can focus down on resource efficiency across, you know, um, all these major problems facing the world. Food security, overpopulation, water security, climate change. I mean, these are huge issues that no one's um, we need to, to know what's going on to solve the issue. So, so the piece of the puzzle here is, is not just a, 
a kind of a low-cost satellite network, but a proliferation of low-cost sensors Yes, and the kind yeah. of computation power to make sense of it. Yeah, these are, these are other pieces of the puzzle. Connectivity is a big one that not enough people, I think, realize is a big part of the equation. You've got all the, the big guys looking at um, machine learning and AI. That's great, and com the computational side. Then you've got the device guys that are very excited about the, the huge number of devices, but connecting them um, with, with a, an infrastructure that, that actually uh, is cheap enough to build, to, to connect them cheaply enough, that's the piece of the puzzle that, that we found not enough people talking about. Right. And, uh, so we've, we've stuck our head up <laughs> in, in the room kind of going, this is where we, uh, this is where we play, and, and without us, you guys are kind of lost. You know, you can't put that together. Um, if you combine those pieces together, you almost end up with, I guess, what people call a macroscope. Yeah. You know, the ability to be able to see the world as a totality. Yeah, it's um, terrifying and wonderful. And uh, it's, uh, we, we call it a, a digital nervous system for the planet. Right. You know? Um, and uh, we think, uh, you know, that that's what we need. You know, we, we're, we are facing these problems, and, and I've seen all through just normal business life, you, you see that again and again. Once you measure something, it begins to improve. Um, but we're not measuring these issues. We're not we're not finding the data, um, and uh, we've got the other, like we say, we've got the other pieces of the puzzle coming together. Um, but uh, yeah, we need connectivity to, to get there. Given the, the falling cost of, of doing this, and, and it's certainly probably a lot cheaper to probably launch a nanosat than it is to even build a cell tower. Yeah. Um, won't we just see a flood of people shooting up satellites into low Earth orbit? Um, possibly. There are so, so I mean, uh, like how will they, will it, will it end up being almost like a, there'll be like an Uber for connectivity, like there's some way of, of actually passing um, sure. applications and software between this kind of I guess this new debris of, of satellites. Yeah, the yeah. Well, I mean, there are a lot of there are a lot of different ways this can happen, we're, and I, I still think we're, we're we're in the early stages of it. Yeah. And the good thing is that that debris the debris is an issue as well. Um, so bringing it back, uh, bring you know having having these things self cleanse themselves, and, and so we're we're only well if they burn up in orbit, that's great. Right? Exactly. So we're, but if we're you have to try and project all of the if you have to calculate the position of all of those things in ten years, it's going to be a nightmare for trying to true. launch a rocket. Thank goodness for AI. You know, <laughs> ho hopefully we've we've got something in the in the background that can that can figure out where to to put to park something, and certainly if you want to get something through that mesh, that's going to be interesting as well. But um, and I think regulations will catch up. There's a you know the regulatory framework um, that's governing frequency and all that kind of stuff is uh, is is playing catch up, and but they know it's coming. They can see the revolution coming. Right. And, uh, so and you've got a window of opportunity. <laughs> we do, we do. We're excited about it. We're in. Um, but uh, yeah, I, th I think that there will be a relatory catch up, rel regulatory catch up on that. So, uh, what what do you think is going? To, what is going to be the new sort of um, industry value system? You know, who who will be the participants in, in the satellite business in the next five to ten years? Wow. Uh, like, I mean, there's going to be people like Fleet who are not just launching the hardware, but presumably mm. building some of the platforms around the applications. Mm -hmm. But, but you know, who else will start to participate, do you think, when you essentially you, you're putting an iPhone ecosystem in space? Yeah, I, I, I you know, it's, that's, that's a tricky one. I think more and more people, I mean, it's, uh, you know, pretty much everything should. Like you say, the Uber, the Uber for space, um, not, just, not just in terms of rideshare, but potentially but resource, this. Resource management. Yeah, and, and this, this um, I think also that this uh, idea that probably what will happen is we'll we'll see platforms just going up and staying up, and then you can buy space as people do now. 
you can upload a pro if the if we get there you can upload what you need um, when you need it so you kind of end up with that satellite network as a service possibility right then what happens I mean that that just breaks open everything right. again well then then almost you can you can launch an imaging business without having without, to launch the satellite without the satellite network. right so right. Um, I mean that but that's when when the costs really come down and uh, I, I don't know I mean it's, it's a I think what we're seeing in general across all industries is this constant um, just waves of disruption over and over and over again. We see it in in uh, like cars with cars being replaced by Ubers, re being replaced by self-driving, being replaced by who knows, you know. So it's it's uh, um, it's just it's the only constant now is change. So I'm I'm not sure. I'm not sure who who will start to to use it, but. Um, you know, I think every industry stands to be disrupted by the kind of things that we're doing. Managing all the data is going to be a, a, one of the most complex pieces of this, mm. um, because I mean, it's, it's hard enough to model weather, weather patterns, but when yeah. we have all of these sensors, sure, it's going to be increasingly difficult to actually make sense of what's going on. Definitely, um, we're not tackling that. <laughs> right? Yeah. No. It's it's uh, it, it's it, it is just one of those problems. I think the 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 computing power is is on you know happening in its kind of in its area and that's that's having a huge influence i think we'll see more and more of that um creeping across but we we want to leverage that we don't want to own it or or, or necessarily need to drive it forward it's just yeah. happening so we want to leverage the, the the power of, of doing that too um i think well eventually data is proliferating anyway right uh, so eventually there'll be almost like a Amazon Web Services for, for the Nanosat platform. I sure, mean, sure. I, I, I mean, wouldn't, wouldn't surprise me if they're not already working on it. Well, I mean, I think, I think Bezos said recently that he was planning on selling a billion dollars worth of shares every year to um, fund yes, yeah. uh, the, his, his space business. Yeah, yeah. So the, these guys are kind of serious. Well, on, it, it on, does, on, on it does seem launches. to be the, yeah, it does seem to be the path for, you know, um, software entrepreneurs to, to go straight into space <laughs> afterwards, you know. It's, it's the kind of the billionaire's playbook, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like, you've got, to, you've got to do it if you don't. Uh, but it's, it's also, I think it, it speaks to um, the the optimism that's that's coming about, and this this beautiful age of optimism about technology, even though we're we're dealing with hey the, the robots are taking over, automation's coming, all this stuff is is happening. Um, we're entering the new a new space age, and we're entering a new but, but a commercial one. And yeah, I, th I think it's yeah. interesting because you sort of had this wave of national optimism in the '60s yeah. around national space programs, mm -hmm. but but now it's like if you succeed in business one of the first things you do or you either fund life extension technology yeah. or you start launching things into space. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think maybe it's maybe it's because in, in so, you know the barriers to entry for a software business are, 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 are low these days. So maybe we just think it's too easy and, and then we tackle that the <laughs> most difficult uh, the most difficult industry possible. But um, but look, I mean it's it enough pieces of the puzzle are coming together um, across the technology spectrum that and each one kind of enables and, and, and leverages the next and and, uh, and and magnifies the next. And I think that kind of bouncing um, off each other of ideas is kind of, I remember I remember my, my dad talking about that when I was a kid, that, that eventually if you had this, you know, the internet would empower um, ideas to just uh, get incredible momentum and uh, um, an incredible increasing speed um, because, you know, you've got enough people connected and, and talking about enough issues no matter what you want to work on there is some expert somewhere that's probably willing to collaborate and you can access them today um, now uh, so 
it makes sense that these things are, are happening faster and that we can tackle the biggest, the biggest problems in the world and uh, the biggest opportunities for, for the species. So. Let's talk about you know, one sort of specific area, that we, especially in Australia, that, that I think is, is a real um, potential consequence for the satellite industry, which is agriculture. Sure. Um, Bring it back to <laughs> Earth. <as laughs> <I said. Yes. laughs> uh, a, a couple of weeks back, I was actually in Kansas City talking to the, um, the dairy farmers of America. And, and I, was, I was actually just amazed that, you know, I speak to many different industries, but this was a group of people who had really embraced data and algorithms because, mm -hmm. you know, from precision agriculture to imaging to, you know, trying to figure out whether cows were in heat. I mean, it turns out sure. data was really important. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and this is also a potential key market for the use of nanosats as well. Absolutely. I mean, Australia is the, I think, the perfect test bed for technology like this. We've got huge landmass, um, huge primary industry reliance, um, a lot of interest in this. And mining, of course. And mining, of course. Yeah. And then, uh, and, and connectivity issues, you know. So it's, it's I, I think it's just a beautiful opportunity to, to, to go after. And I also think, yeah, I, I always laugh. It seems like this um, primordial need for humanity to know where our cows are at all times. Like we've, we've, <laughs> we've inherited this from our ancestors and we, we really need to know. Um, so, and now, now we've got better tools to know. So yeah, it's, it's- So so in a kind of a farm of the future, you know, that's enabled, wh wh where are some of the places where you would see sensors that you wouldn't yeah. see today and, and how would they be used? Well, I, I think it's, it, we're seeing some really cool stuff happening. At, at the moment, it's, it's the outliers and the, the, the fringe cases and the, uh, um, and the, the kind of freak events where, where you see the winds. Um, for instance, you look at farms in, in California during the, the recent drought, and uh, there was the story of a, a vineyard that had um, moisture sensors and leaf temperature sensors all over its, its, its farm. And so they, they used um, radically less water than, than all their um, surrounding farms. All the other guys went out of business, and uh, this one had their best um, boom year ever. Um, obviously, it's it help, it's helpful when your competitors go out of business as well. But uh, you know, it, it what a um, what a great application. I think I, I like to look at like what happens when you get more climate change, more extreme weather. Um, you know, it's fine to just buy more water in in good years, but when the water's not there. Um, and, and that's happening more and more frequently, there are more and more issues like that, uh, it's going to become hugely important to be resource efficient. So I think it's the applications that, um, you know, are, are looking at things that are not necessarily financially viable now. Hmm. So like water, you know, it's easy to buy it in, in good, good years. Um, when there's just nothing, you have to be more efficient. Um, you know, everything, every input, fertilizer, labor, energy, all these kinds of things um, are just not being measured. So farmers today will say, "Look, it's too complicated. It's too it's too difficult to put you know a thousand or ten thousand sensors on my farm because how do you how do you deal with that data? Um, how do you set it up? How do you manage that you know unbelievably complex model, um, or even create it, or even think through it?" Um, so they go, well, give me 10 sensors. You know, I'll look at, at 10 sensors. I'll put something on the water tower and something on the silo and something here. Uh, but don't, I don't want anything more than that. So it, it's, it's simultaneously got to be, let's bring the cost of it down so it's, it's viable to measure all these fundamental things, elements to, the, to, the, um, to our supply chain. Um, and then also making the, the, the deployment of those things super, super simple, which is another thing that we're, we're looking at really closely. Like how do we 
how do we um, make it so, so seamless to just deploy a, a bunch of sensors across your farm um, and, uh, and get back meaningful information and, and make you know, meaningful choices based on that. So those are the kinds of applications. I can't go into too much detail right, right now, but it's, it's around those fundamental inputs that we're really excited about. So you're, not, you're less focused on the sort of the actual hardware of the satellites and, and more about the, I guess, the applications and how they... they well, uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> we're, we're, it's both. It's really both. We've got to solve both of those problems. Um, right. there, there are some great things happening on the ground. Um, there are some great things happening in space, but we have to, I think, solve for both those issues. The other parts of it, things like the computational power, the, um, you know, uh, the, machi like the machine learning platforms and things like that, we choose to plug in. But, um, but there's a lot, there's a long way to go to make uh, a plug and play system really, really work. So besides agriculture, what are some of the other big obvious targets for this? I mean, transportation, logistics? Obviously, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, again, you've got uh, so much, um, everything to do with the supply chain is, is, uh, has fundamental issues. We lose, you think about the food that's produced, after we worry about the inputs and the, the water and the fertilizer and the labor and the energy to produce food, and those figures are always horrific. Hmm. Um, two thirds of that food never gets to um, the consumer. It's lost in warehouses and um, it's, or spoilage it's or totally yeah. um, and uh, you know huge amounts of spoilage. You know we're not tracking temperatures on trucks or controlling the environment properly because it's, it's just not worth it to 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 put those sensors in place yet because they're not cheap enough yeah. and the connectivity is not cheap enough. And then you know and then I mean the other part of it everyone talks about the connected fridge and you know like you know <laughs> and I, I I get I get you know I I, have, I must have more patience with that but. I mean, um, yes, that, that side of it is important as well. We should, I think two thirds of food that makes it into my fridge certainly just go, you know, I, I, I travel, I disappear, whatever, things, things spoil. So I, th I worry about that as well. Um, we're trying to solve everything up until the point that it gets right, into but an the, the consumer internet of things is really not where most of the value is. Not, no, no, yeah. I think there are some huge wins, you know, making people more efficient in their homes is, is uh, yeah, that's that's also someone yeah, else's I, I game. Yeah, I was reading about one of the big um, case studies. I think it was the Port of Hamburg, and mm -hmm. you know they they were projecting a massive increase in in, 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 in needed capacity, but they couldn't get any physically bigger because they're in an urban centre. So mm -hmm. they were using more sensors and devices, and machine learning, effectively to go faster rather than get bigger. Yeah, that, I mean that's that's another um, you know you can talk about um, efficiency in the in the supply chain for, for food, but yeah, certainly like every part of it, the the labor, the just um, operational efficiency um, is a is another big thing. We're really looking, obviously, with nano satellites, we're looking at remote applications. So it's it's things along the journey that are that are really important to us out out at the farm yeah. and everything to well, that the middle urban of the center. ocean, middle of the ocean as well. Um, you know, again, if you've got a, a satellite network, it, it, it covers everything. We can be ubiquitous from, from day one. So so. There's a lot of existing capacity and some of the birds that are still flying around the sky. Sure. Is it yeah. just not cost effective to use those platforms? Yeah, I, and, and I think that there's also, there's a certain amount of inertia that those guys have. Um, I think they would be nuts not to be looking at, at uh, what's, what's possible, um, you know, in this, in this uh, I want to say space, but I shouldn't say space. Uh, you know, in this area, in this field, uh, in for devices and and, the, and IoT. But you know, long term, you need to be uh, you need to really create dedicated infrastructure to get the the cost model low enough that it makes sense. Um, especially if you're talking about if you're talking about okay, 
10, 10 things in a field tomorrow or, or you know, a, a connecting a water tower, fine. But connecting 75 billion devices, that needs a, a whole different way of thinking about it. What, what do you think we're going to have to do as this becomes more popular to, to stop, um, I guess, misuse by countries and, or individuals or companies in terms of not just littering the, you know, the, the, the kind of the, the world's orbit with satellites, but, but managing some of the privacy issues as well? Yeah, yeah. Well, you look at imaging. You look at and, and if anyone can have that, you know, you want to stop. It's not just it's not just the NSA anymore, right? Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's any entrepreneur, you know, can launch up a sure uh, it's, a it's, satellite. It's the the mini Doctor Evils of the world, you know, <laughs> just who fancy themselves. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll get a satellite network, no problem. Yeah, I think I, I think there's a lot of attention that uh, and a lot of behind the scenes movement as well um, uh, in the sort of government regulatory area, like. Uh, these, uh, you know, it's not, it's not a case of really, hey, build something in, in your backyard and, and uh, fire it up and, and, uh, and, and get it up there. There's a lot of, there are a lot of hoops to go through to make sure that um, you know, you're not doing anything too nefarious. But yeah, it is, it is a concern. I think uh, it's, it's a little bit of, um, like any new industry, it's the Wild West, right? It's, uh, and it, it, there is just going to be an element of that. Um, I don't know, I, I get excited by moments in, in, in industries like that. It's, uh, it's not perfect, it's not ideal, and yes, there are lots of concerns that need to be addressed, but it's also just a really exciting time to, to be doing something. Well, Matt, it's been great to meet you. And um, you. Good luck yeah. with the venture, and thanks for being on the show. Thank you very much for having me.